Welcome to the Close Knit Podcast, a podcast that showcases fiber artists from around the world. You're listening to episode 25, and this week I spoke to Diva O'Neill of Phaedra Clothing. Diva is a clothing maker and an indigo dyer based in Cornwall. Her interest in linen started at a young age as she watched her mother and her mother's friends engage with linen and beautiful oversized silhouettes. As a teenager, Diva altered her own clothing, and over the past few years, she's moved into drafting her own patterns, sort of a mishmash of other patterns and garments she's made to achieve the aesthetics she imagines in her mind. Diva and I talk about how she's taught herself to sew and dye, and how the infinite world of fiber has entranced her. We discuss how she's grown Phaedra and keeps, keeps it going alongside day work, and how she plans to grow it over time. Listen on for our whole chat. Thanks for tuning in. I wanted to say a huge thank you to this week's episode sponsor, Pickle & Co Fibers. Pickle & Co Fibers is a small fiber business built on years of love of yarn and craft based in Australia. Marnie, who runs Pickle & Co, hand dyes beautiful Australian grown fiber and yarn, as well as hand spinning her own art yarns. Marnie supports other Aussie producers like White Gum Wool, which is a personal favorite of hers and of mine, as I'm sure you're aware, to keep her carbon footprint minimized. You can find Pickle & Co Fibers on Etsy. Just search Pickle & Co Fibers, pickle like the cucumber, and fibers spelled in the Australian way, so F-I-B-R-E-S, and on Instagram at Pickle & Co Fibers. As a special offer for close-knit podcast listeners, Marnie is offering 15% off of her web shop. Use the code CLOSENITS15 for 15% off. That's CLOSENITS with an S, 15 for 15% off. Thanks again to Marnie for sponsoring this episode. Hey, it's Ani of Close Knit, and I'm here with Diva O'Neill of Phaedra Clothing. Hey, Diva. Hi. How are you going? Yeah, really good, thanks. Really good. Yeah, good. Thanks for, um, thanks for you know, hanging out in a place that's not your house in the evening to get to the internet <laughs> to speak to me. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. I'm going to jump just straight in. Um, what's your fiber of choice and what sort of craft medium do you gravitate towards the most? Well, <clears throat> I would say my fiber of choice is linen. Um, it's not something it's I use other things, too. I use a lot of cotton, but linen is always my favorite. Um, and um, my medium of choice, I guess, is clothes making and creating beautiful garments out of out of the said linen <laughs> um yeah i guess um i guess linen to me is like just the perfect fabric because it's like just so aesthetically pleasing and like just so beautiful um even just in its in its cloth form and then i feel like i spent my whole life like looking i don't know i, I guess i guess i spent a lot of my teenage years um, with my mother and her friends and they had this particular style about them which was like very very like strongly based in like loose linen clothing I don't know it's like it's like a really strong aesthetic that I have in my mind about like particularly older women wearing like beautiful shape beautifully shaped linen and like the way that it hangs on people I just found it so beautiful and so um, yeah I just found it a pleasure to work with um, and I guess my, my, um, I guess I feel like my fiber of choice 
also comes like, under that bracket is with the indigo linen because mm. um, I find it just mesmerizing and I can't get enough of it. <laughs> Do you buy it at, like like that or are you dyeing it? Um, I dye it myself, yeah. Yeah, yeah which, okay. Yeah, which is like a whole other process in itself. Have you, have you done any indigo dyeing yourself? Well, I did a little bit, but it was just, um, the one I did was just with a synthetic. So I haven't tried to do, I haven't tried to like create a proper vat and, you know, look after it. Like it seems whenever I think about indigo, I think about like kombucha brewing and I think about also caring for a baby. <laughs> yeah. Cause it seems like the sort of thing that needs like round the clock attention. It needs to be kept like swaddled and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. So true. It's, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I haven't, um, I haven't ever managed to get like a ongoing bat. I mean, just just purely because of you know timing and space and living in a small area. Um, but uh, even to get a bat going and to keep it lasting for the day while you die is like quite an intricate process. And uh, mm. and and just such a magical one too, like being able to create like the smell of this indigo and this and the like the way that the bat looks and. And like, just like, just actual magic that happens when you put the linen in the dye and then it comes out bright green and turns blue before your eyes. It's like, it's just incredible. Yeah. <laughs> like, can't never I cease know. to be like, absolutely amazed. <laughs> like, always absolutely. kind of doing it alone too. And then kind of looking around at like, to find someone to be like, look at this thing that I'm making, you know. It just turned a different <laughs> color. In front of my eyes. <laughs> Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, I know. The oxidizing is especially cool because with other dyes, you can sort of see it taking in the pot and stuff. And you go, oh, okay. Like it's, you know, when I natural dye or whatever, you can kind of see what roughly what color it's going to come out sometimes. Yeah. But yeah, to have the have it look totally green, like seafoam green, and then you're like, ah, oh, is this going to turn blue? Are you yeah. guys sure about yeah. this? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's so true. And like yeah. everything seems to change about it. Like the green that it's it's first there when it comes out it's like so bright and and so pale and yet yeah. it turns into something so dark like I think that's what is just really mind-blowing for me is that it feels like the entire thing changes it's not like one hue of green turns into one hue of blue it's like it's just a completely different I guess it's like a completely different alchemical process but it's like yeah yeah how did you come across, I guess, so this is a two-pronged question, because I'm curious about how you initially found linen. Like, was that because of your, um, because of your mom and her sort of friend group? Like, that, is that what brought linen to your attention? Yeah, I, I think so. It's funny that I even spoke about that, because I'm not sure. I then just realized that that's, I think that's quite a point of, of reference mm. to me. But um, yeah, I think that, yeah, it, it's just something that's really evocative in my mind. So, you know, it's kind of wrapped up in those memories of being a child and being a teenager and being around these women. Um, but yeah, I, I, I guess, I guess um, I'm quite, I'm quite new to the whole fiber arts world and and to clothes making really. Um, <clears throat> but I've always found I've always been a creative person. I I studied creative writing at university and was really in poetry and, and I feel like it's it's 
all the kind of information that I've gathered from every other kind of creative process has gone into kind of trying to create this aesthetic that I found when I started mm. making clothing. It's like mm. this is the thing that I've been kind of looking for is like garnering this aesthetic in my mind and it becoming like trying to make it a reality in some way. And so yeah. that's what came out of my poetry and then that's also what ended up coming out of finding the kind of my true aesthetic in clothing, I think. It's like that's the thing I was just always attracted to and I think linen in particular kind of came out of, you know, it's it's like such an ancient fabric and in itself it's, it has has real romance to it, you know? And it's like, um, you know, it features in like st- stories of myth, Greek myth and legend, you know, like that's where my name, the name of the company Phaedra came from because of, you know, a story of, um, so Phaedra was a, a, a wife of a king and she fell in love with her stepson and when she first saw him he he like came into the room and he was wearing a gown of white linen you know so I just feel like and for me that's like such an evocative thing um yeah so I guess that's what attracted to me it to me in the first place uh, yeah yeah and then when you were kind of like looking for it was it readily available to you like was it around um no, I guess I know. I guess not. I guess I've I, I've kind of sourced everything so far through the internet, and mm-hmm. um, so just like you know, trying to find co- contacting a lot of different companies and trying to find samples that were right for me, and um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm kind of self-taught, and I don't particularly have a community of kind of clothes makers and and fiber arts in where I live, so. I think I was just kind of searching for it um, yeah. online, um, as it were. Yeah. And where you are is Cornwall, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Cornwall. Cool. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking, as you said that, you're like, I don't really have a community of makers or like people, like places to source. And I just thought maybe, maybe somebody in Cornwall is listening. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, maybe no. they produce linen. <laughs> yeah, that's so and maybe true. we can, and maybe we can connect, you know, not to say that like, oh, you're not, you're not, you know, you're not finding those makers in your community, but maybe they exist and we just don't even know. Yeah, that's so, so true. That's so you know, true. I feel like this happens all the time where like, I live in a small place and I still manage to find people on Instagram who I wouldn't have otherwise found just sort of bopping around in my day-to-day life you know that's amazing that's great I think you're probably right maybe they are there I think I think there's there's um there's like a lot there's a lot of makers in, in Cornwall where I live um and there's also a lot of wool um and yeah there's a lot of ceramicists there's a whole history of kind of Japanese ceramics that from Cornwall and um wood makers and all sorts um and but yeah I haven't really found I, I think that finding someone who's making their own linen and making and growing linen is quite a rare thing to find um mm, I mm. think you know there's obviously places in the UK that specialize like Irish linen is very um it's like very sought after and very expensive but um yeah. I haven't found any UK makers of linen so far which is kind of interesting yeah <clears throat> Yeah, mm. that is. I kind of expect, I would have expected there to be some. Yeah. 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 Well, you may be right. Maybe I haven't found them yet. <laughs> yeah, but this is, I mean, this is the crazy thing, right? Like, I often think about how 
uh, like we're pretty engaged in this community and we're looking for these, we're really actively looking for these things, right? And I, there are times where I'll be really actively looking for producers of wool and other things in Tasmania where there's like a million sheep and I can't find them. And the fact that I'm like working really hard to find these people and still can't find them makes me go like, how is your average person who can't be, you know, cannot be bothered to like spend their time, spend their free time doing like how I spend my free time, like Googling sheep producers on the internet, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm revealing a, a very embarrassing part of my life here. But um, I mean, it's genuinely what I do. But that then I think about like, how, you know, how do we start to... I guess it's these conversations and then, and then, you know, acting on it afterwards and figuring out ways to kind of, um, you know, I guess like create a database or something, because it sort of seems like there's probably lots of producers that don't even have an online presence because they're just so old and not to say the people are old <laughs> necessarily, but just like the yeah. thing, the institution is old and they just haven't seen, like they've got their specific supply chain and they've got their specific set of how they make their money. And they've been doing that for however many generations. So they wouldn't necessarily know that there would be all yeah. these young people on Etsy yeah. who want to sell their linen in beautiful indigo dresses. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, totally. That's so true. I guess. Yeah, that's, that's so true. I think, the advent of kind of a globalized capitalism has a lot to answer yeah, for in yeah. that sense because you know it kind of scooped up a lot of um a lot of individual makers and kind of you know a lot of people to sell to bigger companies and that's the way it's yeah. always been done and so yeah like you say I think it's hard to find yeah exactly yeah I think that's probably the next my next project is compiling all of the people and and all of our com all of the podcast people's combined knowledge of producers. We probably need to turn that into some kind of interactive database, but put put that onto Definitely. a, a back burner for you know when I've got just like lots of free time to work on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, can you tell me about how you found indigo and how you learnt to dye that? Like, did you just teach yourself? Hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah. How did it begin? Um, it's all a blur. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess, I mean, yeah, um, everything that I've done really with clothes has been self-taught. Mm. And so, um, I guess... At the beginning, it started with, you know, the idea that I wanted to be able to make my own clothes because I couldn't find things that it didn't properly and, you know, all these other reasons. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, through making my own clothes, then obviously the dye process came up. Um, and I started to research natural dyes because I thought that, you know, I, just, I, I feel like, I feel like, um, being able to use what you have around you or use more natural ingredients is like actually quite an empowering thing, you yeah. know, like being able to, you know, make your own thing and find something that to dye your own clothes with um, without having to rely on anything else or anybody else is like, it's quite a radical act, I feel. Mm, mm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I started, I started kind of heading into the, natu the naturally dyed world and then I just I just 
the, the aesthetic of indigo and the colour just drew me so strongly. And also, I think that it stands apart from other natural dyes in that the process is actually a lot more simple than other dyes and, um, you know, modest, quite a lot less time consuming. Mm. And at the time, I was, you know, I, I was not Dilam kind of um, learning about clothes making and and making patterns and um, everything else that comes with making my own clothes. Uh, and so I felt like I didn't have the time in order to, it's like such a huge world to go into when I already had so many worlds I was working in. And so I felt like Indigo spoke to me because it was like, first it was exactly the kind of colour I was looking for and secondly it, it was just like such such a simple process um, mm. rather than other natural, naturally dyed things which can take a lot more time and patience. Um, so yeah, I I just um, yeah I, I just started um, playing around with it. I dyed a few things, started doing you know, bits of shibori and making fabric, um, looking pretty. And <clears throat> um, I guess once you get into it, it's it, yeah, it is quite a simple process. It's like you know, it's it's getting all of the parts just right but it, it's um it's really I mean I find it actually even more easier than dying with chemicals it's like mm. you know the the indigo itself it's, um it it kind of adheres to the fabric really really quickly and then you don't have to use it doesn't take as much water to rinse it out so like the whole process is much easier and um and also like great because it's natural and it's not gonna like hurt me or anything around me hopefully by the time mm. it's finished so mm. um yeah I guess it spoke to me in that way yeah um, and then there's like all of the shades you can get from it it's like you know from like really delicate light blues to like the darkest of colors which is just so satisfying and so I feel like mm. it's a whole range of stuff that you can create from it are you getting your light your super light blues from indigo um yeah yeah oh, wow I'm just looking yeah. at your Etsy, like just looking through all the different shades. So nice. Yeah, that's very yeah. cool. Mm. Do you have yeah. like a, um, do you have kind of a like method around that? Like, are you taking notes as you go to try to figure out like, okay, this, you know, the top you're wearing right now, the like kind of light gray blue, is it, yeah. would you be like, okay, I need to leave it in the dye pot for like X number of minutes and then rinse it out? Um, yeah, I mean, I should be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm actually really bad at doing that. Yeah, so, I, mean, I was um, just curious. You shouldn't be doing anything. Yeah. You know? No, I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess, um, you know, there's, I, I do struggle with, like, because I'm so excited in the process and I, and I you know, it's like it's like the way that I cook. Like, I'm really, mm. like, throw this bit in and throw that bit in and, like, do this stuff and it'll come out great. And then it does come out great, but then it's hard to, um, you know, reproduce. Yeah. So that's something that I've kind of started to consider, especially from, you know, people buying from me online is that they're expecting a certain type of thing and, and it really needs to stay the same as that. So mm. um, I think that that's something I need to work on <laughs> instead of just like getting excited and throwing all the pot. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm starting to, I'm starting to compile a, um, you know, a little, little book of, of, tied it to fabric that um yeah 
so something I'm working on. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's cool. Yeah. Um, when did Phaedra start? Like, how did you, how many, you know, how long ago did you think of the idea and then turn it into a thing and then open a shop? Um, well, it was actually been very recent. Like, I've always, I mean, I've always um, altered my own clothing and, you know, made little bits, but mm. really, I think it, I think it was maybe a, a couple of years ago I made my first piece, um, my you know, a first piece from a pattern, yeah. and um, uh, I guess I was looking for a way to be more self-sustaining. Um, you know, spoke about clothing-wise, but also um, money-wise. You know, I think it's like. I don't know how it is really I feel like it's kind of universal actually like you know I'm I'm in well I'm 30 now I was in my late 20s like trying to figure out a path for myself that wasn't just working in cafes and like wanting to use a skill that I could make you know that I have myself in order to like sustain myself for my life yeah and so I thought it might you know I'm I'm, I'm re I was really inspired by the community of makers here so they are perhaps different from me there's like a lot of young people working really hard to <clears throat> make their own businesses and um so yeah I had the idea I guess about a year and a half ago a year ago um and then I moved to a new flat a new a new town and directly opposite my flat was um a little group of studios called Old Bank Studios and like the second night I live, I like was living in this flat. I went downstairs to this bar, and the guy there was like, "Oh, this girl's moving out the studio. We're really stuck. I know what to do?" And I was like, "I'll take it. Uh, I think I'll take it." <laughs> and um, and yeah, and then ended up, I ended up with this shop, like this shop front right next to my house, like yeah. completely serendipitously. Um, so it all kind of fell into my lap, really. It was like a time where I was really thinking about it and being like, I really want this to happen. And then it just like all happened mm. really quickly. Oh, yes. Which is the best. Mm -hmm. It's the best. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's like always happens when you really need, really need it to. And I really needed that change and really needed, needed it to like someone to kind of, you know, offer it up to me, I think. It was, yeah. Yeah. And so I had this super cheap studio shop and... Um, you know, a couple of other really amazing girls that work in there. And we, all, you know, it's it's a really amazing space. And so I've been there, um, I guess, for like six months now. Um, yeah. And that's where I that's where I cut my patterns. That's where I sew, and that's where I sell from too. So mm. yeah, it all just came came together really nicely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I um. Yeah. I struggle because I'm not a super woo-woo person but also or I don't like identifying as a super like woo-woo person but I am kind of woo-woo <laughs> and I feel like <laughs> I feel like you saying like I was thinking a lot about this really wanting it to happen and then like yeah went out into the world and it started to happen I'm like without getting too weird here like manifesting that stuff is I know I know oh, and I that's know. cool right like I mean it's it kind is. of funny to think about it in those terms but <laughs> I don't know yeah yeah I yeah I agree I'm I, I struggle with being like this is this can't just be like some god giving me this <laughs> but at the same time it's like yeah this 
it, it does seem to like these things happen and I can't explain them but like they just fall into place sometimes and it's like and it's blessing and there's like no other explanation for it <laughs> yeah I just think of it as like asking the universe and the universe is providing and like you know for me that doesn't necessarily mean a, a higher being but something about yeah maybe it's like the connectedness of people maybe we're just more connected than than we think we are and like when you put out feelers into the world other people can feel that too or something mm-hmm. yeah yeah just got maybe that's it <laughs> <laughs> might have to edit this part out <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh gosh um can you walk me through uh I love talking to people about the like you were kind of talking about the reality of like you're working in cafes you didn't necessarily just want to do that full-time um I like talking about sort of the you know the uh another person I spoke to on the podcast called it like the happy hustle of this life of like you know it's of kind of the the patchwork way that like a lot of people on the podcast put their incomes and lives together together because it's kind of maybe the thing that they do doesn't necessarily earn that it's not a, it's not an income really, or maybe it is, you know, can you walk me through kind of what that all looks like for you? Yeah. Um, well, um, I mean, I guess I feel like uh, as time goes on, it's getting clearer for me, which is great because yeah, you know, in my mid twenties, I finished university. I didn't have, I was like working it was like terrible, terrible job in the cinema, mm. uh, like you know, or like working bars, or you know, particularly in this area. I think there's there's um it's quite a small town. There's a lot of tourist trade, but there's really not a lot of jobs available. There's not a lot of career paths, and there's not a lot, even a lot of full time jobs. Like everybody around here kind of takes up part like two or three part time jobs to try and you know yeah like work their lives, and yeah. so um. You know, uh, particularly as I was at that focus, that point in my life, I was kind of really focusing on writing and, you know, knew there wasn't any kind of career for me there. Like, I didn't want to be stuck in an office and a very practical person. And so I felt like it was time for me to kind of, yeah, see what see what I could create myself and and just be a bit more in charge of my life instead of having to wear a uniform and answer to bosses who are just nasty people (laughs) or you know Mm. um and so yeah I mean I'm so lucky to have um my other part-time job is working in this bakery um where I get to bake now I bake the bread and I bake the cakes and all sorts and I do that three days a week and it's the best job ever like I could really couldn't ask for a better job and I only have to do it three days so um, that gives me a lot more time to do to do you know work on Phaedra and and you know hopefully make it into kind of a working without you know I really don't care about money but like you know mm-hmm. it's it's good to be able to support yourself yeah um, in in a way that's like viable and yeah. you know just a, just a trickle is fine <laughs> yeah um, no I, I think it's it be- it becomes this kind of like very taboo subject to talk about. And I think makers oftentimes uh, have a, have a sense that like, Oh, but I love doing this. So I don't need money. It's okay. But like at the same time, you know, it's like, it's also so okay. Like, of course there's so many 
so many ways in which I don't want to rely on money, but at the same time, like it enables you to do certain yeah. things like visit your partner, like go, you know, just things like that, that like, yeah. you're probably not going to be able to do without money. Like yeah. maybe you could barter <laughs> yeah. for a ride somewhere, but like, That's you know, true. there's just a level of freedom that comes with it. So I think, you know, I, while you say like, it doesn't matter and it doesn't like, I think we, I think we're probably coming from a similar perspective on that. It's still, I think we probably both can see the Necess- yeah. the necessity of it right like just you need to have enough to kind of live the sort of life that you, you yeah live and that doesn't necessarily mean tons of money but it also doesn't it also means like you getting paid a proper wage for the sort of craftsmanship that you have and the work that you do and the yeah that's so true yeah I do and understand that, that. Kind of and stuff, I think that a lot know? of makers do underestimate themselves and, and charge less I agree mm-hmm. um but also it's, at the same time it's very easy once you start going down the business route to get sucked up in the whole like stressful minefield of being like I'm not making enough money and what if I'm losing money and and then I feel like your craft suffers so it's like I have to just it's like a constant reminder of my just to be like this isn't, like money doesn't matter at all like it's fine and yeah. I'm doing this because I want to not because I need the money yeah, yeah, yeah. particularly I think I think that's why it's great and so bringing actually have have a part-time job at the same time because it creates like this freedom that I I don't I don't really have to stress out and worry about it like a lot of people I know in this area you know they're doing it they're they're making full-time and and it is like a source of like a source of stress and and kind of ongoing like I have to get the stuff done because I've got to make the money Mm. and I don't want it. I don't want ever to. I don't want to feel like that ever. Yeah. So I just have to keep that in check. I yeah. Think. So you'll probably keep it part time, kind of forever. Is that how you would see it going? Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I I think. I, no, I mean, I think I, I would like to obviously be making more, and um, but I just I think you know in in the early days of, of something like this, it's yeah it's important to just have that balance I mean if I was making enough and not having to worry about money making clothes then that would be great (laughs) but Mm -hmm. I don't want to have to stress about it now so yeah 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 that's a very fair fair and grounded perspective because it is easy to get sucked up into the into the thing that you're excited about when you're especially when you're starting out yeah yeah it is lovely to um to kind of know that your bases are at least your you know your real kind of exact basis of like having a place to live and having food are covered by something yeah. that you go to and like you know you're going to get paid to do yeah that's, totally. that's, like, that's yeah. pretty nice yeah that's so true yeah yeah it is good um yeah yeah do you do you do that too are you a, are you a part-time worker yes yeah yeah I work um I manage a shop and um yeah, and I do that sort of 25 hours a week. I was nannying as in addition to that before, uh, but that was just too much. <laughs> I was, yeah. Then I was then I was suddenly working five days a week plus the podcast plus like oh yeah other things like eating food and <laughs> exercising <laughs> and having something of a life. Yes, yeah, that's yeah. actually been a huge thing that I've been trying to be um, trying to be really transparent about in my in the way that I am on social media and when I'm interviewed for things and on the podcast and stuff about, um, you know, I'm not like teaching workshops full time and podcasting full time. Like that would be fun. But also, um, yeah, also I think I would, I already placed quite a lot of pressure on the things to work and to be good and to, um, 
reach a lot of people that when when there's money involved as well I think I just would like I think I'd freeze up <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah I hear you actually that's a, yeah that's a, that leads on to a good point where it's actually it's really nice to be able to put something down mm. and like and look at something and do something else for a while too like if I was doing this you think sometimes if you're doing it full time and you're like yeah you get so sucked into your day you're like not eating and you're just like completely mm. gone into this world it's like actually that can be really draining too so it's so nice to just chop chop and change and be like okay it's gonna do something else for a while <laughs> like necessary for yeah. your mental health yeah I think. yeah and it seems really great that <laughs> your work like your day work your day job is is still uh, I would imagine it's really nice to have something that's still kind of physical and that you yeah. get to kind of use your hands and stuff I imagine yeah. that's really nice yeah yeah it is yeah and it's super it's super satisfying in a similar way like you get to the end of the day and you're like oh look at all this stuff I made yeah <laughs> so, yeah and people are eating it and it's yummy yeah yeah it's true yeah yeah um, um can you tell me about what your sort of favorite part about fiber arts is or like this fiber arts community or world or any of that yeah um <clears throat> I think that um I think that I I think the thing that makes me most excited and favorite part about the fiber world is um particularly in kind of the, the world that I am in in clothing um is that this kind of slow but very steady shift towards sustainability and like people being much more careful about their choices I think I, I don't know whether that's something that I have noticed more as I've grown older and that's and that's a path that I've chosen and I found these people but I also feel like it's kind of a okay it's kind of in the air you know at the moment like the kind of rejection of more mainstream ideals and focusing down a bit more and, and just taking more care on the stuff that you're choosing to purchase and choosing to to um yeah kind of to wear on your body and the age of kind of fast fashion seems to be disappearing or maybe it's just disappearing from my life but it's like I just I just find it really interesting that people are taking so much care over mm. over what they choose to buy I think it's a great thing <laughs> and, yeah absolutely yeah um I mean, I guess I am also really excited. I'm still just super excited about the stuff that I'm that I'm learning about. You know, like learning about. You know, I've kind of delved into Indigo, but I'm I'm now just like I've been obsessively watching like videos and tutorials on how to like how to make my own pa- like paste resists and shibori and batik dyeing and all this stuff. It's like a whole other kind of world to me that I haven't really delved into properly yet. And so I think that that's also something that I find just so interesting and want yeah. to learn like everything about ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's such a like rabbit hole. There's so many ways that you can approach it and so many different things that you can do within it. It's like, you've got the fiber, but then you've also got the dyes and then you've got the, how yeah. you put them together into a garment. Yeah. 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 Can you walk me through a little bit of your um, of your like design process, like how you kind of take those ideas in your brain of what these silhouettes might look like and how they become a garment and then a pattern and then a thing that people can wear? 
Um, yeah. Um, well, I I carry around a book. I think that's important. <laughs> Good starter. Um, yeah. Of like drawing, you know, drawing patterns that I would like. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I guess I spoke before about the whole thing started was because I I was I felt like I was always obsessively trying to find um, this these garments that like I couldn't find anywhere and that I had really strongly in my mind you know I don't know where these kind of things came from but I guess from like lots of different things kind of you know particularly when it comes to simple clothing like um you know just like simple dresses with like they're just like the right length for me or you know big pockets or you know all of these kind of little design factors that kind of came into into trying to make and then suddenly being like, oh, I can make this. I could just make this instead of like looking in every single shop ever and never finding it. <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess I guess that's how it starts. And then, um, I mean, yeah, I'm like I said before, I'm self-taught. So a lot of my patterns are kind of cobbled together from other bits that I've made or, you know, anything from like literally drawing around some parts of clothing in order to you know get the right neckline to you know using using another pattern to get like the kind of you know the really important techniques right um and then just like trial and error I guess it comes down to like I'll make a lot of things I buy a lot of you know, old secondhand sheets from charity shops and cut them up and make them into things and then put them on and then they look really weird and then I make them again and then, and then maybe they look slightly better the next time and then I, you know, then you make it out of a nicer, heavier fabric and then the whole thing changes again. Mm. Um, so there's like, there's lots of different factors. Um, and sometimes... You know, yeah, it's a long process. Sometimes it can be frustrating and I kind of leave something because I just can't get it right. And yeah. other times it just seems to happen really easily and you're like, oh, it's perfect straight away. That's weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and so then most of my patterns I just cut from, you know, all bits of newspaper. I've got a lot of, I've got a lot of books of things flopping around my studio. Um and then yeah and then then everything else happens in the studio when I feel happy about it I cut fabrics and Mm. sit there at my sewing machine all day and create something beautiful but at the end of the day I'm like wow (laughs) it worked so yeah yeah Yeah. and then so then I I I tend to make the garments um and then dye them after they're finished um oh okay because I feel like, I don't know, I just, I love all the kind of inconsistencies and interesting patterns that come from that, like, yeah, especially, especially with indigo, but with all dyes, really, like, you know, there'll be a kind of a certain, a certain lighter coloration under your buttonhole or, you know, around the seams, if you pull them apart, you can kind of see the white underneath and, or, I think, yeah, I just think lots of interesting inconsistencies and, like, imperfect imperfections, but beautiful things come out of a dyeing fabric whole rather yeah. than dyeing, dyeing a whole piece of fabric and then cutting up. Um, yeah, so that's also magic because, you know, up until the point when you've 
you pull it out the dye bath, it's kind of unfinished, and then you get to see the whole thing in its full glory. Like, oh, wow, like now it's dyed and and it's done. <laughs> so that's, yeah, it's really satisfying. That's cool. Um, I didn't realize you did that. That's really interesting. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think also um, with dyeing whole pieces of fabric, then other inconsistencies can happen that I don't particularly like. Like, for instance, you know, because each each part of a garment has maybe four or five different pieces, and then. Um, like for instance the whole sleeve piece might be slightly darker than the tunic piece or you know so then it becomes like more of a blocky it's just like a very different aesthetic I think particularly yeah, with yeah, yeah. <clears throat> particularly with hand dyeing when you're um, yeah when there's there's so many different you know um, yeah different shades and, and, and mottles on just one piece of fabric so um, yeah I, yeah yeah no that makes sense that makes total sense because I can I can see what you mean with like the inconsistencies being beautiful but but yeah it's a totally different thing when it's like specifically one part of the garment versus another part of the garment instead of it being just inconsistent in little little ways yeah and stuff yeah like it still feels like a whole it's kind of you know more organic yeah. piece um, and when you die yeah, a whole yeah. I guess yeah that's it yeah yeah cool <clears throat> Yeah. Can you talk to me a bit about um about about motivation for continuing to create stuff? Like when you were back altering clothes for yourself, I imagine that would be a really different sort of motivation to now creating garments to sell and sell in the shop front. What do you reckon? Yeah. Yeah. I um I guess you're right. Um though I still I still tend to um make myself I think before I before I make for the shop um, I will I guess I'm always making making garments that I would want to wear and so there's also kind of a selfish aspect of it where I'm like I want to make this thing uh and I also probably sell in the shop so I guess it still feels like the same kind of thing it's it's like feeding my little selfish notion of wanting wanting this particular style and generally I, you know, I keep the, I keep the first piece or I keep the, you know, the practice pieces that didn't come out quite right or, and so it still very much feels like I'm making for myself a lot of the time. Um, so mm. it kind of has the same feel to me really, um, unless I'm kind of, you know, making, making a lot of things at once and it's like bulk ordering or, you know, not, um, uh, but I guess what keeps me motivated is just trying to, I still get such a satisfaction out of trying to perfect my craft, like, and, and I have so, I have so much further to go, I think, too, like, I, yeah, those days when it's really tricky and you can't get stuff right, it's because you're, it's because you're learning and you're trying to figure mm. stuff out, and it's like, that's satisfying in itself, and a part of me wants to be super good at, at what I'm doing. So <laughs> I think that, yeah, I think there's there's still a lot there that, that where I can you know where I can go with with learning about clothes making for sure. And yeah. 
I can't see an end to that right now. Like I feel like I'm just beginning. So I think that's what makes me continue on. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, totally. And also, like going back to the idea of, um, you know, still kind of trying to search for that particular aesthetic. Like mm. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm at the end of that at all. There's a lot of things I still want to pursue, and um, you know, if I if I get bored of making particular pattern or you know just kind of deciding that that's not quite right then I could just put that down and start on something fresh so I think that I don't, I don't think there's any danger of becoming particularly stagnant with what I'm doing right now and this feels this feels good yeah yeah awesome yeah and um, can you talk to me about uh what your sort of biggest bit of advice for someone who's starting out with fiber arts would be, and this could be in a business context or just in maybe they've just started learning to sew. What would you kind of say to them? Hmm. I would say, um, I would say to try to gain as much inspiration as you can from the world around you. Um, but try not to convey yourself to anybody else because <clears throat> it's a tricky world and there's a lot of people doing amazing things and it's, it's easy to feel bad about what you're doing and that it's not good enough and mm. um, it's just it's just a really really like uneasy and dangerous place to be and I think it's so important to yeah stay true to what you want to create and get rid of your sensor that tells you that you're not good enough <laughs> I think yeah 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 that's a huge theme on the podcast I think yeah <laughs> comparison is the thief of joy <laughs> that kind of thing like it yeah. just you know it's so easy with the world of social media to see things and be inspired by them but also to feel really really bad about where you're at because of yeah because of that little comparison gremlin yeah totally yeah 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 I've got one more question for you, and I like asking people this because uh, not like we need more people to follow <laughs> on social media, but I just like asking because I because I know that everybody has really different, um, we all find really different people in the world, and it's really great, I find it really great to be able to see who people are getting inspiration from. Um, so can you tell me who you think we should be following in the fiber arts world? Oh, interesting. It's a good question, and it's tricky because like it's just so much stuff, and like I know, and like stuff that feeds feeds me is can is like so wide ranging too. But um, mm -hmm. I think the things that sprung to mind for me at the moment um, is I've been obsessively looking at um, this um, American uh, designer called Tony Chestnut who um oh yeah she's like amazing she's like totally rad like shaved head so cool. goddess um who make yeah who makes like really gorgeous really interestingly shaped things but very simple but just like really interesting shapes um mm. and I think what really appeals to me is her she's like does a lot of pan painting on her dresses like big yeah. dots and like really and so kind of combining that idea of art and clothing um, but in mm. in quite like a still a very wearable way I really I really enjoy that a lot yeah um, um but then also um 
I guess I was thinking of a couple of local girls who um, have really inspired me here, which is mm. um, one of them is Ad Petals Hall, who I've collaborated with on a couple of things. So she's a cool. um, yeah, in natural natural dyer. She sells she sells her naturally dyed linen, and it's just been amazing to see her process and see her incredible incredible cloth it's like just the most beautiful thing and that really feeds me on my instagram feed every day i see like stuff mm-hmm. that she's created and i'm like god it's so beautiful yeah yeah um and also um another local girl who also who also makes indigo clothing um on instagram is cabbage blue and her clothing is like so gorgeous very simple and quite oversized a lot of like really lovely shirts and and like big baggy jumpsuits and um mm. yeah I find her I find her really inspiring too um, yeah cool yeah <laughs> speaking my language <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah. I'll have links to all those guys in the show notes yeah. as well yeah so that everybody can find them Great. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, cheers. You've just listened to episode 25 of the Close Knit Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please share us with your friends and leave us a rating and a review on iTunes to help us reach more people in the fiber arts community. Thanks so much for tuning in. Till next time. <laughs>